0: Welcome to Everywhere Radio. I'm your host, Whitney Kimball Coe, and today I'm excited to talk to Dawn Ludke. Dawn is a community advocate, a former assistant attorney general, a certified law enforcement trainer, and an expert on healthy schools and public safety. She's also serving her first term on the Montgomery County Council in Maryland. Dawn was elected in 2022 to represent the newly created District 7, an area that is part of the Up County, just north of Washington, D.C. The Up County includes large swaths of agricultural land and a number of rural residents who in the past have felt underrepresented on the council. Dawn describes her district as a little bit of everything. In her new role as the district's first representative, she has said that her top priority is unifying her constituents to work towards shared goals and more broadly, address issues that have been overlooked in previous council sessions. In addition to her role as council member, Dawn is a longtime theater performer and advocate. Currently, she serves on the Opera Baltimore Board of Directors and the University of Pennsylvania Glee Club Graduate Club Board of Directors. I also read somewhere that Don performed the role of Martha Jefferson in the Sherman Edwards musical 1776, which happens to be one of my all time favorite musicals. So I'm hoping we get to gush a little bit about that for a minute. Don. <laughs> for sure. For
1: sure. Actually, yeah, that's super fun fact. Um, So I was 16 years old when I played Martha Jefferson uh, in that production. Um, It was actually the first live theater production that was being performed um, in my hometown at a theater that um, a theater company had purchased, but had at one time, it was built by my great grandfather. Um, So it actually was really especially significant for me to be able to be a member of that cast. Um, and I was the only person child, I guess you should say, (laughs) you know, at the time, um, because I was only 16. So I actually wore my great grandmother's wedding ring as my wedding band for the production. Um, so yeah, I have a lot of fond memories of
0: that. That's so cool. So good. Oh, this is really great. Well, <laughs> Tell me, uh, Don, where you're from and um, a little bit of your background. Sure.
1: So I, I was actually raised in Williamstown, New Jersey, which is in South Jersey. And for those from New Jersey, New Jersey is very particular about its north versus its south. Um, and uh, it, it's uh, like kind of comical, um, the differences in alignment with either New York City or Philadelphia. And so the town I grew up in was kind of between Philadelphia and Atlantic City um, mm. in affectionately uh, part of the world known as the Pine Barrens. So occasionally my husband jokes that I'm personal friends with the Jersey Devil and other assorted lore from from that part of the state. <laughs> but, uh, but that's where I grew up. And it was a mixture. I mean, part of a lot of the farmland that was there is no longer there. Um, so sort of the Western side of my town and further towards the Delaware river became more developed. Um, whereas the Eastern side, like Hamilton, New Jersey is the blueberry, you know, Mecca of New Jersey, um, and, and has, uh, Quite a quite a history there, but a lot of the fi- family farms aren't there anymore that were there when I was growing up. But um, but plenty still do remain.
0: Mm. And how how does your growing up experience in, in New Jersey? How does it map onto where you are now in the district in the Up County that you're in?
1: Yeah, so. Uh, it was interesting going from from living in this small town in New Jersey that's very similar to uh, Damascus, Maryland, which is where I one of the the towns in my current district. Um, except Damascus has rolling hills and, and Williamstown, New Jersey is as flat as it comes uh, because it's mostly uh, lower than sea level there. Um, you know, and then I went to college in Philadelphia, so I had a mix of both worlds growing up. And my mom was from Harrington, Delaware, home of the Delaware State Fair. So I spent part of every summer down there uh, growing up because I would go with my cousins to the fair. And my cousin Todd, his father was a dairy farmer. So Todd was always there showing cows at the fair and he would sleep there at the fair. He had a cot, he had a cot in the barn with cows and that's where Todd was in the summer. and so it was different to see the back and forth and the differences between truly rural suburban with family farms on the outskirts of the suburban areas. And then, you know, urban areas like Philadelphia. So um, and I've lived in five different cities throughout my throughout my life um, from 18 up.
0: And so. Montgomery mm-hmm. County is very similar, right? It's it's adjacent to Washington, D.C. Um, it inc- and it encompasses a number of stops on um, the metro, right? Yes, so it's yes. it's not strictly a rural place. You you say it's full of, you know, it's got a lot of diversity in terms of geography and people. Can
1: you it us has a, bit a more? ton of, Yeah. And I think when I, I like to personally think that my district in the council is the most diverse, meaning not just racially, ethnically and socioeconomically, but geographically, because I have one metro stop. my district at the very southern part of it but then i also have a huge amount of our ag reserve in the county and um our ag reserve is split over two councilmanic districts but um that's a truly unique part of of our county's history and um, i'm very excited that way back when in 1980 someone had the you know, the brilliant idea to do this because it was the first of its kind in the nation and um, to set aside and preserve agricultural land um, for agricultural use over time and make it economical to do so. Um, So to explain that a little bit, there are transferable development rights so that farms, uh, family farms that have um, the transferable development rights, they create them and then they can sell them to developers to, um, offset, uh, what they can or cannot build in more densely populated areas of the County. So it prevents development in the ag reserve. So it prevents that kind of sprawl that maybe I was subjected to in, in South Jersey and, um, where it becomes housing development, housing development, strip mall, strip mall. Um, not exactly the, best thought out planning there, frankly, in the area where I grew up and, um, maintains that, I think it's just under a hundred thousand acres of, of land that are preserved. It's about one third of the County's land mass is preserved within our agricultural reserve. Mm
0: -hmm. And what, I mean, what drew you to, um, to caring so much about these issues of land preservation or, um, and, or, um, community planning and uh, strategic planning in, in small, and big places.
1: Yeah. So I, I guess I kind of have an interest in all kinds of planning and in all kinds of development. And at the root of it all, it comes from just enjoying people, mm-hmm. right? I mean, I would, I would say I'm a <laughs> next to the word extrovert in the dictionary is probably a picture of me. Um, but I like to be a problem solver and I'm, I think I have a unique skill set in being able to take into account many different things and disparate things and reconcile them together. And it's it's interesting to see the commonality in different issues or things as opposed to distinctions. So you can recognize the nuance, but you also can see at the core common shared values, which I think are true across our county, regardless of whether it's in the more urbanized areas or whether it's way out in the, you know, down the long gravel road in the ag reserve at, at, at its core, everyone wants to feel safe and secure. Everyone wants to feel welcome in their community, um, spirit of fellowship and being able to, to grow your business if you're a small business owner and and know that you have a positive place to be is at the foundation of everyone's goals, regardless of where you live or, or where you came from or how you started out your life.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, and the district you are in, District 7, is newly mm-hmm. created and in part it's in response to folks probably out that dirt road feeling like they their voices had not been heard or represented on the council at, at some time. So I wonder, yeah. um, what do you see your role as, um, as this first representative of D- District 7? Yeah, so
1: my district was created from two prior, parts of two prior existing councilmanic districts. So they added two seats to the council um, for the 2022 election. And um, as a result of that, these areas that are the more rural areas that comprise District 7 were removed from being attached to uh, more urbanized areas. So, this isn't why people should get into serving in public office, I think. Um, and, And to me, as a taxpayer, I find it offensive. But there were folks who had said, well, I don't need their votes to win, right? And that's... Not how I view the job. Mm. I view it as a job, and to me, it's if you do the job well, you'll get to come back, and you should be doing the job well across the spectrum of where you're serving, not just focusing on where the most people are within within the district. and And frankly, to me, you know, those kinds of statements or or approaching public service from that way is is um, you know and completely antithetical to what you should be doing as a public servant. So um, I'm glad that they drew the districts the way that they did, uh, because to me, they make far better sense now. And um, my district, though, I would say is probably the most interesting because it does have a little tiny pocket of semi-urbanized area, a couple of suburbs, and then a lot of rural area. And so uh, to me, it looks like... How I've lived my life throughout my life, right? Because I've been in all of these areas and lived in all of those areas throughout my my life. Um, so I think that helps.
0: I wonder about um, what it's like to be an elected official right now at any level um, in this political climate that we're in um, and, and also in this moment of economic hardship and coming out of a pandemic. And, and, and there is this, you have, do have this kind of new role as a, um, a council person in a newer district. And I just wonder, like, what are the pain points? What are the, um, what are the growing edges that you're feeling right now?
1: I think, um, because I came to this role from being an appointed public official. And although a lot of my colleagues at the attorney general's office would not necessarily have had as much, um, time spent across the state. As I did, I did have to travel or, or serve folks across the state in a, in a different kind of capacity than many of the other AAGs um, or have more public facing uh, time because of community outreach and education projects I worked on. Um, so it wasn't totally a new feeling. Uh, Coming into this role because I'd had a lot of practice with that, particularly around sensitive topics like mental and behavioral health or law enforcement and law enforcement reform, um, school safety um, and active assailant mass violence incidents, um, domestic terrorism, hate crimes. So those are the kinds of things I've worked on in the past and that I carry with me now. Um, and those are hard topics. They're they're really tough topics. And they're things that create a lot of anxiety, worry, and fear in our citizens. And so I think that being able to, to communicate well with others and be able to hear them, there's a difference between listening and hearing. Um, and I think I do a pretty good job of actually hearing them, not just, you know, not just, oh, they said something, but digesting it. It doesn't always mean I'm going to agree with what they're saying, but it means that I have to be able to take that in and, and see what that means for that person or that group of people in that area, because that's relevant to how do you help with the problem. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, I don't feel like it was totally new to me coming into this role, But, you know, the public's agitated, Um, the public's worried, and I get where they're coming from.
0: Um, So I think you're right. I think the public is agitated. I think there's a lot there are a lot of fears and concerns out there. And I wonder what some of those are in in your district at the moment. And if they have um, some something to do with geography, location or zip code um, or even culture um, across those lines.
1: So, for example, at the beginning of the pandemic, there was um, the Up County Hub was created, which was a food distribution site. And they, you know, they had, I think, like 25 families, maybe that they were helping support in the early part of the pandemic. And now it's fourteen hundred families. So their work has grown tremendously over over the past three years Uh, and needing and seeing throughout that process um the need for responding to food insufficiency uh with cultural competence because we do have a lot of residents here who, you know, were not born in the United States. And so the staples that that I might be looking for are not what they're looking for because that's not part of their diet or part of their culture. And I really appreciate that the folks who got the Up County Hub started, have honed in on that and tried to adapt and adjust to make sure that they're providing, um, you know, culturally appropriate foods for those who are in need.
0: Are there any other um, issues or projects that you're working on right now that you feel like are, are truly in line with addressing what you're hearing from, from your diverse residents?
1: Yes. um, One of the biggest crises we're facing is in our mental and behavioral health space and in making sure that we have enough folks to respond to those types of things. And, And of course, the ultimate goal would be that people don't get to the crisis point, right? That we've got an earlier intervention. But for example, in our more rural areas, it's a lot easier to not come in touch with someone who's going to say, are you okay? And to sort of apply those tools of mental health first aid and find a good way in to, to, to facilitate someone um, who may need a service, let alone getting them to one. Um, so we've done some things across time that reduce barriers um, at the state level by joining an interstate compact that allows for telebehavioral health services. Um, so you can do it like we're chatting right now over over um, video conferencing, but there's just a, a mismatch between the level of need that we have and the amount of providers available. Um, and then we have the insurance gap in the middle and uh, a lot of clinicians don't take um insurance and if someone's suffering from a mental health crisis or from significant may not be at crisis level but they have significant impact on their on their daily life managing how to process your insurance claim or how to submit yourself to billing you know it becomes a challenge they're already challenged and then you're layering on these other sort of administrative barriers to care um, so we're trying to figure out a better way to, to manage that, um, adding social workers to our schools um, to help with managing, at least within our pediatric population, the schools are a microcosm of the community. But again, if you're someone who then gets referred out for additional services, if you don't have broadband or you don't have an appropriate access to be able to do telehealth or telehealth isn't clinically appropriate... There aren't providers in those more rural areas um, across the county,
0: and that's incredibly challenging. We'll be right back after this from The Daily Yonder. Hi, I'm Anya Slepian with The Daily Yonder. Check out The Yonder Report, a weekly podcast rounding out the latest rural news. Produced by The Daily Yonder and Public News Service, you can listen and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And now, back to Everywhere Radio. Um, well, I want to change tracks just a little bit and ask you to describe to me like what a typical day is for you. You wear a lot of different hats and your county is yeah. fairly large and I, I'm trying to picture um, what that looks like for you.
1: Well, a typical day for me right now is fairly wild, I have to say. Uh, so I, I have four children, uh, three biological and one stepchild, a uh, bonus child. So the oldest two, my, my daughter and my stepson, are freshmen in high school. And then I have a daughter in eighth grade and a son in fifth grade. So presently we have three bus pickups and three bus drop-offs a day Uh, and, and people coming and going for all the many activities that they're all in. So we we juggle all of that um, in between. My husband actually works for the governor. Uh, So my husband is the chief legislative officer for our, our governor and it's legislative session. So it's, a little bit hectic. Um, So we do have a lot of who's on first, what's on second kind of moments around our family, Um, but we are agile and flexible. And so on a typical day, I'm usually meeting with uh, several different stakeholders um, or community groups that have requested meetings with me in the evenings. I often go to uh, have discussions with constituents in their area, like last night, um, I was out in Damascus, which is in a very, very rural part of our county, and uh dealing with the parents there who are concerned um because the school is desperately in need of rebuild. And it was built in 1950. It has not had a substantial renovation since I believe the late 70s, uh 78, I think maybe. Um And there's worry that it won't end up in the capital improvement projects uh, list and stay on its current target and that it'll be bumped. And uh, they've been waiting for this for a long time. But as you alluded to earlier, the up county really felt like it didn't have an advocate for a very long time. And so it's my job to fight as hard as I can to make sure that they're heard. And particularly a school like that, which has a long standing tradition of the, you know, like Friday night football up there is a huge deal and the school is like the epicenter of the town and town activities and life. And so, you know, that school represents so much more to that community than just the day in day out education uh, function of it. It really is a community hub. And um, I think it's critically important that that project stay on track.
0: I also wonder. What what do you think the ingredients are um, to to live and work and and be in a community that is flourishing, that is that is doing well, um, that feels healthy and um, and like it has access to all kinds of things?
1: Yeah, I think um, I think at the core of that is people understanding one another. And so. Especially in the work I did with the hate bias and hate crimes piece and, and talking to kids about that in particular, because I do and I still do go out and do those programs whenever I can fit them in. Um, you know, the the notion of othering someone, it might not be something that's a protected class, but often you come to a discussion or to a, a thing with a preconceived notion. And folks in urban areas have those thoughts about folks in rural areas and vice versa. And yet really, if you hit pause and find yourself starting to feel that way and say, well, let me find out what what are you really about and, and how does that work? Let me ask questions. So finding a way to come openly um, to one another within a community. And to me, that's, that's the core, not having people who live anonymously and transiently, but people who really feel invested in their local area, whatever it may be, um, that they feel like they have a space and that they belong there and that they're doing something there, uh, or collaborating with a neighbor or someone else there that gives purpose. Um, because that's the, the core of, of happiness to me is getting up every day and feeling like you have a place in this world and you have something that you're contributing.
0: Is there a place in Montgomery County that's especially special to you um, that you find yourself returning to or um, a place that gives you joy and energy?
1: Yeah, there's, I mean, we have a lot of cool outdoor space and actually right by where I live. Um, So I live in the Patuxent River watershed and I live kind of in a forested area. So probably one of my favorite places to be is my own backyard Uh, because I have a little bit of everything here. I have, um, we have, uh, what are those birds? well, we have a lot of woodpeckers. <laughs> uh, so, oh, yeah, I had one that I was taking care of for a while. Uh, he was a juvenile uh, red bellied woodpecker. And uh, I have a friend who is the daughter of two veterinarians. And so she rehabilitates baby birds that, you know, maybe their nest got blown over or what have you. And uh, she had a woodpecker and he was very attached to humans and he wasn't really ready to depart yet, but she was leaving for vacation. So he was rehomed to my backyard and, you know, he'd come down every day and he'd want a snack and he'd, you know, get on my shoulder, get on my head. And I'd have to scoop him off and then give him his snack. And then away he'd go. Um, We have a pair of mated Cooper's hawks that live at my neighbor's house and they come and they, they uh, have their babies every year. So that's
0: a fun time here. Well, I always ask um, our guests, What are you reading, watching, or listening to that is making you laugh or challenging you or something you'd wanna share uh, with a larger audience? Yeah,
1: so uh, we're really lucky and I used to be on the board of the theater, but I had to step down when I was accepting elected office. Um, Olney Theater Center is very close to my house and that is one of our two state theaters. It was originally a summer stock company and summer theater. Um, But it has that official designation and it actually has three stages. So a black box, the original 1938 historic theater, and then a main stage. And then out in the back, there's an outdoor stage. So uh, recently, within the past month, they opened Kinky Boots, um, which is one of my favorite Broadway shows. great show. It's a great show. Um, And then uh, a play called A Nice Indian Boy that I just went to see last weekend. Um, and that's a play about an Indian family and their son who's gay and he brings home his, his boyfriend and the parents sort of reconciling tradition and traditional roles because in that particular family, the father was the cook and that's what he really wanted to do and be. And that was where he had a lot of passion. Um, but his own father had not accepted that in him. And so, uh, and it's also a incredibly funny show. Like it's very heartwarming, but it's also really, really funny. Um, And uh, I really enjoyed that. And then tomorrow night, no, not tomorrow night, Friday night, I uh, get to go up um, and see Opera Baltimore's fully staged production of La Traviata. Mm. So I'm very excited about that. And then Saturday night is the University of Pennsylvania Glee Club's 160th anniversary gala. So I still serve on their board um, for their graduate club, but I was the first woman ever elected to their board as an undergrad. Uh, it's uh, it's technically its 161st year of mm-hmm. existence, now, but we're delayed pandemic-wise from the celebration. And um, it was really cool back in college to be the first woman elected to their board. It was, at one point in time, an all-male uh, group. I was their choreographer, so I didn't sing with them. Although I sing, but I I was their choreographer, and now they are completely co-ed and merged, and they do some all male, some all female, and then combined SATB performing, which is really really cool.
0: Oh, that is so, that's so rich. Um, all of that to have that woven into your life, and I wonder what, you know, how how do you map um, your love of musicals and theater and performance with the work you do in the world? Is there an obvious connection there or um, how, how do you connect those things? Huh. Uh, Well, you
1: know, I was a trial lawyer before I went to work for the AG's office and theater and performing and advocacy are kind of tied hand in hand or politics uh, because you have to do a lot of public speaking. um, You know, so there's always that little bit of it. Although I think to my colleagues, part of the fun now is if there's a conference or something and there's a karaoke thing, they can egg me on to please participate and may they pick the song. Um, So there's a little bit of that, but I think that mostly art and in many forms um, is in, in a very important part of our overall makeup and having you know, whether it's a small place that has a coffee hour or has somebody who's a singer-songwriter who comes and plays on the weekends, or whether it's a full opera, uh, either or, it doesn't matter. Those outlets are incredibly important, not just for the performer, but for those who are absorbing it. Um, I think it makes us all richer for having the exposure to that and, you uh, that's another reason why the pandemic was so challenging because we really didn't get to have that collective experience um, out, you know, out, except outdoors uh, mm-hmm. for a very long time and hard to manage art in that kind of space or uh, with those kinds of challenges for, for a bit of time. Absolutely. So I'm
0: glad uh, I remember during the pandemic subscribing to Patreon and absorbing live performance through that, but it's not the same, um, as live performance or doing it with, you know, absorbing it with others around you. And the first time I came back to an in in in-person performance, I remember just weeping because I'd I'd missed, I really had missed, um, the collective experience of performance. Yeah.
1: Yeah. They actually, for a nice Indian boy, when you go into the black box theater for it, the, the character who plays the father is already on stage. Um, And his back's to the audience and he's cooking and you're smelling the cooking. And so you're smelling this like fantastic Indian food. (laughs) So I, we had just had dinner before we went and I took my former high school intern with me and I was like, Henry, I'm really hungry now. Like, I know we just ate right before we left the house, but now all I can think about is I need to go get Indian food tomorrow. So, (laughs) yeah, yeah.
0: Um, Well, Don, it's been wonderful talking to you. I'm so glad to have met you and um, excited about all the things you're up to. Thank you for being on Everywhere Radio.
1: Thank you. I really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Absolutely.
0: If you enjoyed Everywhere Radio, we'd love for you to consider subscribing to the General Rural Assembly Newsletter, where we promote new offerings from the Assembly and amplify the good work of our many partners across the country. We also have an advocacy newsletter that comes to inboxes on Mondays to help you start each week with a quick take on the top issues that we're tracking across the nation. Everything from broadband policy to reproductive justice. Just head over to ruralassembly.org to sign up. If you're a true fan of Everywhere Radio, please let us know by rating us wherever you get your podcast. And if this isn't your cup of tea, no biggie, it's fine. We'd like to thank our media partner, The Daily Yonder. Everywhere Radio is a production of the Rural Assembly. Our senior producer is Joel Cohen, and our associate producers are Xander Brown and Teresa Collins. And Anya Slepkin is our assistant producer. And we're grateful for the love and support of the whole team at the Center for Rural Strategies. Love you, mean it. You can be anywhere, we'll be everywhere.